the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Zero self-awareness. Or maybe it's just stupidity, or maybe it's just that they think that the people they're talking to and expecting to vote for them are stupid. Eric Holder was attorney general under Barack Obama. Maybe you remember when he was held in contempt of Congress for ignoring a subpoena. You might have noticed that in the last few years, the president and the Justice Department have kind of come after Donald Trump. And, of course, now the major Democrat talking point for 2024 is how Donald Trump will become a dictator if he becomes president again. Well, listen to what Eric Holder said with a straight face on CNN recently. Can you just describe a little bit in terms of um, the role of and how it would transform if an attorney general were not looking at things purely from the facts, purely from the evidentiary burden and how to meet it, but instead taking directives on who to prosecute from the president of the United States? Sure. If the president told a compliant attorney general, uh, I don't like what this congressman said about me or did about me, did to me over the course of the last two, three years, whatever, open an investigation um, on that person. That attorney general could tell a compliant United States attorney to do just that. Talk to a compliant FBI director who could be replaced uh, by the, the president to open an investigation and then to just look through that person's life and look for anything that you possibly um, can find. Um, and uh, who's to say what you find in any person's life that might run afoul uh, of the law? And even beyond that, the, fact, the mere fact of an investigation of a person who is a public figure can be reputation ruining, can be politically damaging, not even if you find anything, just the, the fact that the investigation itself um, exists. And if you've got the full weight of the Justice Department, the full weight of the presidency, the full weight of the FBI um, focusing on somebody like that, um, that can be extremely damaging to not only that person individually, but to our democracy writ large. As I said, is he stupid or does he, does he think Democrats are stupid? Maybe it's both. Anyway, when we come back, there's a major abortion controversy going on in Texas right now. Can't be good for the Republicans. A judge won't allow a woman to abort her baby, even though it has a fatal condition. And the Republicans are really taking a beating on it. Abby Johnson, who's a major anti-abortion activist, who spends her time talking women out of working in abortion clinics, will be here with her side of the story. And we have major climate change insanity coming from the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, who somehow was allowed to spread the insanity to uh, what was probably a really receptive audience at a major American university. Stick around. There's a story in Texas that could be a problem for lots of Republicans or anybody who is strongly anti-abortion. Kate Cox is a 31-year-old woman. She became pregnant in August and found out that the baby has a, a fatal condition and will probably be stillborn or die shortly after birth. Uh, Texas law says she can't have an abortion, and the Texas Supreme Court is involved now. Abby Johnson used to run a Planned Parenthood clinic. 
She now does everything she can to prevent abortions from happening. She's the CEO of And Then There Were None, and she joins us now. Abby, always good to have you on the show. Thanks for coming back. Of course. Thanks for having me. So uh, this seems to be putting conservatives in a tough spot. I I, I was reading all weekend uh, things on Twitter where they were just absolutely trashing um, the judges in Texas, uh, the the Attorney General Paxton in Texas, um, uh, they it's, it's they, they wanted the law in Texas, but they're being called monsters to, uh, for forcing this woman to to carry her baby. What would you tell them? All these people who are screaming about it. I mean, this is uh, this is what it is to be pro life. This is where the rubber meets the road. So, are we pro life for all life in the womb, or are we not? Are we against abortion in all cases, or are we not? I am against abortion in all cases, and anyone who calls themselves pro-life should hold that same position. It is not caring, nor is it stopping suffering by allowing a 20-something-week-old baby to be painfully dismembered in its mother's womb, the place that should be the safest for an unborn child. That is not doing that child any favors. And honestly, it's not doing Katie Cox any favors either. Um, as a, I'm a mom of eight children, I cannot imagine knowing that my child, my innocent unborn child, and, 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 and being okay with my innocent unborn child being ripped apart in my womb. That is what is going to happen to this baby. This baby is going to be painfully torn apart, arms and legs torn apart from its torso while it is alive without pain medication. That is what we are talking about that's going to happen to this baby. How is that humane? How is that appropriate? How is that reducing suffering for child or mother? It's not. So if we are pro-life, this is what we stand against. We don't just stand against abortion when, you know, when it's easy for the mom. We stand against abortion when it's tough, too. Yeah, um, I don't disagree with you, but when I'm looking at this, it's I see so much of the focus on the mother, and it's, it's, it's hard to not have sympathy for the mother in this um, because she is going to be from her standpoint and from the standpoint of the people who are supporting her, forced to uh, carry a baby that she wants to not carry anymore. I mean, I, I guess what you're saying is you're either pro-life or you're not, but I I see, I, I put it this way, I'm no, I don't hear a lot from Republicans um, uh, defending the idea of um, not let, letting her have the abortion. I get a feeling that they... They've been backed into a corner, and they don't know what to say. Do you get that same feeling, by the way? Because I'm not seeing a lot I mean, of support know. for the I, for the uh, for the for saving the baby. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm for saving the baby, and I'm a Republican, so I don't know. I'm I'm for doing everything we can to save innocent life and to protect the life of women. And I think as pro-lifers. We need to do that. We need to do everything we can to protect the life of both. I think you have people that support abortion who believe that the women's life always supersedes the life of the child in the womb. 
And then I think you have some pro-lifers who believe that the rights of the child always supersede the rights of the mother. And then there's, I think, the overwhelming majority of us in the pro-life movement who say, we just want to see their lives as equal. We just want them to have equal rights. We want them to have the equal right to live, the equal chance to live. And there's, under no way, shape, or form, is Katie Cox's life in danger just because she has a child that has trisomy 18. Um, women have, have babies all the time, every day. Uh, they have babies with trisomy 13, trisomy 21, trisomy 18. Um, her life is not in danger. Her life is not at, at risk. And I guess, you know, honestly, I would feel, uh, you know, a little more sympathy for her, except that she has used her, um, her child as a political pawn. And that, that makes it hard for me to feel sympathy for her. Yeah, I, I'm sure you've you've noticed what the debate has become since Roe v. Wade was overturned, and I'm talking about within the Republican Party. There are people out there, even Donald Trump, I think, has made comments like he didn't think it was smart uh, for the six-week law. I, don't, I think it was referring to in Florida. Um, mm-hmm. that there are lots of people who call themselves conservatives and Republicans out there saying, that with this, they're 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 questioning whether this should be a hill that they want to die on, and they want to be pro-life, but I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that this case seems to be something that they can't win on. I'm talking about well, politically now, that, taking the yeah, uh, yeah 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 I get it. Um, you know, I got to tell you, I was I was talking to my husband last night and. I was telling him, I, I think there's a lot of talk about that, you know, is the, is the abortion issue, is the pro-life issue a, a losing issue? And I got to tell you, um, the pro-life issue and the LGBT issue, um, those are both issues that are attacking the, the image and likeness of our creator, of, of God. And so for me, those are, those are gospel issues. Those are Jesus issues. And I would rather continue to fight on a politically losing issue and know that I'm fighting for the right things than win an election. Um, Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to stand in front of Donald Trump. I'm going to stand in front of my creator. And I want to make sure that in this life on earth, that I have fought for the righteous things, that I have fought for the right things. And so no matter what uh, the Republican Party says, no matter what Democrats say, um, no matter what either side says, I'm going to keep fighting for what I know, um, for what I know to be right. And I know that fighting for life in the womb um, and life outside of the womb is the right thing. I know protecting innocent life is the right thing. I know protecting traditional marriage is the right thing. And so those are the things I'm going to keep fighting for. Yeah, I hear you. I don't disagree with you. My my fear is that um, uh, that that by th- this case and the way this could be politicized by the other side, um, wh- what what about the possibility that it could um, allow for more Democrats to be elected at the expense of Republicans, and therefore put unborn babies in more danger because they're going to be people wanting to change the laws back, or you're going to have fewer people 
who are on the side of the baby in this in cases like this. Well, that, that's what that's what I'm yeah, wondering I mean, about. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that can happen anyway. I mean, look at what's. I mean, our culture. Look at our culture today. I don't think it takes cases like this to make people go to one side or the other. Um, our our culture is lost. Um, our culture is is floundering. Um, every single ballot initiative that's been brought forward since the overturn of Roe has has failed. The pro life movement has failed. Um, you know, we're living in a, a relatively godless culture. We're living in a culture where murder is considered compassionate, and uh, we've been seeing we've been going down that road um, for fifteen years. So I don't know that that these sorts of cases are going to necessarily make or break people on one side or the other. I think that we're already living in those times. We're living in in a very selfish culture. Um, and I, I mean, look, this woman could have done like many other women. She could have gone out of state. She could have had an abortion. She could have done it quietly. But that's not what she wanted to do, right? She wanted to make a political statement. She wanted to use her child, her disabled child that is probably going to die right after birth. Instead of taking those moments uh, right after birth, to hold her child, to love her child, to take those moments to grieve the loss of her child. Um, she's using this child as a political statement, a political football. football mm-hmm. And that's really despicable. That's really pathetic. And I hope that people see that for what it is. Um, I hope that they understand that murder is never compassionate. And that's really what, what one side of the aisle is fighting for here. We're talking to Abby Johnson. She's the CEO and founder of And Then There Were None. So how common is the condition that, that uh, Kate Cox is dealing with? Yeah, so it's not, it's not common. Uh, trisomy 18, trisomy 13 are, are generally both fatal conditions. Um, although uh, trisomy 18 is what uh, Rick Santorum's daughter, Bella, has, and um, I don't remember what birthday she celebrated this year, but um, I think she's at least 10 years old. Um, so there are situations where children have lived with trisomy 18. Um, so, you know, the idea that this is automatically a death sentence for a child uh, is not, not necessarily true. It is in most cases, but it's not always um, the case. But, you know, we see situations all the time where women are giving, given these sorts of abnormal, sometimes fatal diagnoses. And, um, and, you know, what we know to be true based on, you know, various counseling studies and grief studies, um, from these sorts of, of diagnoses is that women do far better emotionally if they actually choose to carry their child to term and have that moment of closure. Um, there is no moment of closure if your child is ripped apart limb from limb. There's no, there's no moment of closure there. And I, I think it's just, uh, uh, I, I personally have a friend whose child had Prader syndrome and, and the baby was developed with no kidneys and that's a that's a fatal condition and um her child lived for about two hours and you know her comment was the only the only face my child ever saw 
was mine and in the face of, of Christ. And that is a, that's a perfect life lived. And this woman, if she goes through um, with, with this abortion, she is, she's removing that from this child. And this child is only going to know a very painful death. And that is really, really sad. And I, I just know that this woman, um, I believe that she will suffer long-term repercussions because of, of these choices that she's making. Um, have you ever had to, in your own work, I know most, most of what you do with, um, with and then, were, then There Were None is uh, to try to convince women who work in abortion clinics to leave, leave the job. Mm-hmm. But have you had to mm-hmm. actually speak to women who have been in sim- situations somewhat similar to what Kate Cox is in? Oh yeah, yeah. We have a. I have another ministry I founded uh, four years ago called Loveline, and um, we get calls all the time from women who have been given um, sometimes fatal diagnoses in the womb. And there's there are so many great organizations we we work with um, prenatal partners for life. They are an organization. The the woman who founded it. Um, she actually had a, a situation like that herself, and so she founded the organization to help other women in that same situation. And there are many other organizations like that one, and they counsel these women. They work with the families. Um, they there's another organization called Heaven's Gain that we work with, and they are able to send out burial information, they, you know, cover the funerals, they do all of these things to help these families, and, you know, not to mention they help with the counseling, the grieving process. There are so many services out there for families, and um, so, you know, they're not left alone, and um, and this is not an option that they have to pursue. Um, if they pursue this option, it's because they're they're choosing to pursue this option. But there are many other options out there that do support these families on this difficult journey. And I'm not denying that it's a it's a difficult journey. Um, I just I I just spoke for a pregnancy center about a month ago, and I met a woman who was very big pregnant. She was in her eighth month of pregnancy, and she had been given a, a fatal diagnosis for her baby. And it was really humbling to meet her, but the joy she had um, just carrying her child. And she said, I'm just enjoying every moment that my child is safe in my belly. And um, and they had prepared. They were preparing for the birth, and they were preparing for the loss. And, you know, these women that do this, they have the, they have the opportunity to prepare, you know, what they can for that loss and that grief. And, um, and I think that that, that's a, that's a beautiful way to handle the grief instead of just shoving it to the side and, and, you know, pretending like this isn't happening or they're not going to have to deal with the grief if someone else, you know, handles it and somebody else has the abortion, that grief is still going to be there and they've still lost a child. Except this time they've lost a child by someone else's hand and they've lost their child in an extremely, painful and barbaric way. Uh, Abby, I'm out of time. Uh, Abby Johnson, but can you, uh, I have about 30 seconds, can you uh, tell people how how they can help out and then there were none? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, go to the website, abortionworker.com, or they can go to my website, abby, A-B-B-Y-J, dot com. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. Hope to have you on again. Thank you, Abby. Of course, anytime. Bye-bye. Okay, that's Abby Johnson. We'll be right back. So I have no idea what this lady's name is. Um, I've been trying since I saw the uh, the video on Twitter, um, and I can't find it. And I've seen the, the video in quite a few places, but nowhere is, is she identified. But it's so good that I I had to I had to uh, I had to play it for you. This is um, a woman I think well it's in North Carolina. I can I know that based on what she what you're about to hear her say. It's in North Carolina, um, but we've all heard plenty of great speeches given to school board to school boards at school board meetings and. A lot of them are really good, but this might be the best one ever. And I don't, uh, this video does not include the reaction from the school board, but if it's like the other ones, there usually is no reaction. They, the woman will, or man or woman will go off and make all kinds of great points and scream and yell with a lot of passion. And the school board will say, next, thank you, ma'am. Thank you for your time. And then they go about their business. But, um, this is the kind of thing that the Republicans, they should find out who this woman is and bring her on tour with, with candidates and let her speak to as many people as they can find. Listen to how smart she is and how mad she is. This is from, I don't know, the, uh, the unknown lady in North Carolina, but well worth listening to. Hello, everyone. Um, I've been coming here for five years now, and I was going to talk to you about some practical things that I thought you could change about 3210, but I've changed my mind. Um, I've been really confused over the last five years as to why we spend 45 minutes to an hour of every public meeting talking about how great everyone is and how great everything is in the schools, and now I've figured it out. I've figured it out because all these people came here to defend you all from hurtful words. This is obnoxious. Let me just say, there is one goal for the educational system. It should be to prepare children to enter careers to be productive members of society. It is not a counseling session. It is not a self-help area. It is not somewhere to find yourself. And we should not be led by the children, for goodness sake. The children are called dependents for a reason. They depend on us who have fully developed brains. You cannot feel your way through life. The issues that we are talking about, we are bringing you statistics. We are talking about scholastics. We are talking about funding. We are talking about busing. We are talking about trying to figure out how to make our children be as successful as possible. And I am sure that that is your goal. And what we have been called tonight is what they're claiming that we're saying to children. We're having an adult conversation. There are not children in this room. We aren't going into the schools and calling them names. They call us Marxists and hateful and bigots and everything else under the sun. Well, let me tell you, Less than 5% of the entire population of North Carolina identifies as LGBTQ. You guys all claim you want democracy. Well, you know what democracy is? It's the majority plus one. 
It's 50 plus one. You know what? More than 50% of the people in this state claim that they believe in God, Almighty God who made us male and female, God who made marriage between a man and a woman, God who said that we must protect our children. The fact that we can stand up here and we know, we can brag about all of the wonderful graduations, but we know, we know the statistics. 50% of children did not pass their end of grade test. What are we celebrating? We have, we have children coming up here telling us how horrible the mental health crisis is. Why? Most of us went to public school, and all of our all of our peers are not in mental health crises. We have to ask ourselves, what are we doing to our children? I'm going to say we are discussing things with them that they are not emotionally, intellectually, and morally able to handle. That is what is causing the anxiety. That is what is causing the depression. That is what is causing the confusion. We need our children to be able to be children, to be able to be innocent, to be able to enjoy childhood and not know all of the drama and all of the difficulties in adult life. That is what we want. We want our children to be able to read and write and to think for themselves, and we demand that the children who fear God are protected in your schools. Yeah, that's, uh, that was with no uh, teleprompter. She wasn't reading that. She was just venting, speaking. And the great point she made that school is not supposed to be a counseling session, especially a public school. You could make a case for some of that if you were going to a religious school, a Catholic school, Jewish school, private school, that that, that was where there was um, an understanding that the people who go there were going to be taught religion and counseled on the things that are tied to that religion. It's pretty obvious. But in a public school, to be spending time uh, as as if you're you're in a uh, you're counseling them on things like. Well, it's everything she said there, the LGBTQ insanity and all that stuff. And the other great point that I think she made, and it's been made before, but it needs to be made more often, I think, is that there are statistics out there about how many kids are having mental problems. And she makes the point that they keep talking about it, and they keep beating it, beating, not beating, but pounding the idea into their heads that they have to be concerned about what gender they are despite what's between their legs. They got to worry about whether they're a, a non-binary and all the other insanity that's out there. This was, and as she points out, this is relatively new. It's just been introduced in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, so I came across a thing today from, uh, Jason Rance. He's a uh, he's been on the show, and he's he, you've probably seen him. He shows up on Fox, and I I actually called to see if I could get him come on to talk about this. But this is along the same lines. Now you just heard what that lady said, okay? This is in Seattle, okay? And it's Jason Rance writing. He's a talk show host, and he's writing at seven seventy KTTH in Seattle on their website. Uh, an active history teacher failed a student on a quiz for saying only women can get pregnant and that only men have penises. He was, he, he was um, failed. A 10th grade ethnic studies world history teacher at Chief South International High School, it's a, it's a public school, gave students a quiz titled Understanding Gender Versus Tex, and the quiz, sex, I should say, the quiz provided a series of statements to label true or false 
Many of the questions focused on personal pronoun use, blah, blah, blah. Uh, question four was a true or false question with the statement. All men have penises. True or false? Okay? Tenth graders. The student labeled the statement true, you know, because it is. It's true. But the teacher penalized the answer, called it incorrect, and the teachers, the teacher claims women can have a penis. Now, this is another one of those things that doesn't fail, doesn't pass my coma test. Okay. I want you to imagine that you've been in a coma for 10 years. Okay. You wake up yesterday morning and you find out that your 10th grade, uh, your son who's in 10th grade comes home with a quiz and it says, uh, I failed the quiz, dad. Uh, glad to see you're out of the coma, but I just want to let you know I failed this uh, quiz. And then you say, well, what, what was, what, what's wrong? Why did, did you, did you not study? Well, no, I said that men can't get pregnant and all men have penises and that's incorrect. Again, you've been in a coma for 10 years and you have to have somebody explain this to you because this is a 10 year thing. So this is the worst part about this. This, uh, she went to the school. To the, the 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 kid's mother went to the school. She said, "I keep trying to wrap my head around how it's legal to teach inaccurate information and force students to answer against their beliefs or receive negative scores." Uh, and so, um, you would think the Seattle public schools again, if you had just if you'd been in a coma for ten years and you woke up, you'd say, "Well, they're going to fire that teacher." I mean, we can't we can't have that teach. Somebody contact the principal or the superintendent. Don't get rid of that guy or woman. Well, the Seattle Public Schools, through a spokesman, defended the quiz as quote-unquote inclusive. Seattle Public, this is a quote, Seattle Public Schools is dedicated to establishing inclusive environments that allow exploration of contemporary issues, specifically examining the impacts of power systems such as racism and patriarchy. This commitment extends to fostering welcoming and inclusive settings where students, staff, and families have the freedom to express their authentic selves. This is from the person running the Seattle Public Schools. Now, what are you supposed to do if you have a kid in that school? And what do you think the chances are that these people are Democrats? Every single one of them. I don't think I have a whole lot of Democrats listening to this show all that often. But there's somebody out there who's a Democrat. I'm begging you, defend this. Call me up. Contact me on Twitter at Steigerworld. Defend what happened here in this situation with this kid being told that he was wrong to say that men can't get pregnant and then having the Seattle Public Schools go through this BS uh, statement about inclusive and blah, blah, blah. It's 0.04% of the population that might be, I don't know, felt, might be made to feel uncomfortable by being told that they can't get pregnant even if they, you know, have a penis. Okay? So, so that there might, this 0.04% might feel uncomfortable about this. So the entire school, a f- building full of what, 1200 kids in a high school, they are going to be taught that men can get pregnant in order not to hurt the feelings of this mentally ill person who, th- who is not sure whether 
he is a man or a, a male or a female, even though it's pretty obvious to everybody who sees him naked what he is. Okay, so uh, it's just this is what's going on in the public schools, and it's democrats. And if you're a man, I have a question for you: How can you possibly vote for a Democrat when you know this stuff is going on, and it's going on everywhere? Anyway, I wish I knew the woman's name, but I'm glad I got to, got to play that for you before I told you this story, uh, which is exactly what the woman you just heard was talking about, insanity like what's going on in Seattle. Okay, speaking of insanity, I got another couple minutes here. Um, I think I have enough time for this. Do I have much time? Do I? Um, speaking of indoctrination, by the time these poor kids who are taught in places like the Seattle public schools get to college, they're completely out of their minds. They're insane. They're, they're, they are believing this stuff that the men can get pregnant. So up at Northeastern University recently, I don't know if this was some kind of a commencement, but they made the mistake of inviting Canada's Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland, to come and speak to the kiddies, the college kiddies, and you can see them in the crowd nodding, and they're they're buying every minute of this, everything that she's saying. Listen to what this is: the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada. And we are living in an age of change. We're living through what President Biden, on a visit to my country in March, called an inflection point, a time of transformation. He said that comes once every five or six generations. Now, like it or not, you are graduating into that inflection point. What is this inflection point? What is this upheaval which is going to the roots of humanity itself? There are many ways to describe this transformational moment, but I think they all come down to one fundamental question. Does capitalist democracy still work? That's the question being posed around kitchen tables in my country and this one, as parents wonder if our children can count on capitalist democracy's essential promise of a future more prosperous than our present. It is the question being posed by our shrinking glaciers and our warming oceans, which are asking us, wordlessly but emphatically, if democratic societies can rise to the existential challenge of climate change. Oh, boy. Somebody, not somebody, lots of people elected this person. They went into a voting booth somewhere, and they said, yes, let me cast a vote for Christia Freeland, who doesn't think capitalistic democracy is a good idea. What's the alternative to uh, to that, uh, Christia? Would it be, I don't know, communism? How about socialism, which is just communism before it grows up? It's it, This is going on. This is the deputy prime minister of Canada saying out loud, eh, you know, this whole, I'm, I've been checking the glaciers out, and they seem to be melting, which is BS, by the way, but they seem to be melting, and... Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little concerned about climate change. So I think what we need to do is just, 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 I don't know, toss out this whole idea of capitalism and freedom and free markets 
and all that stuff. And let's just go with socialism because, you know, the glaciers. And then she says people are sitting around their kitchen tables talking about this. I would like to offer her like a thousand dollars for every person she could find who said, oh, yeah, we were talking about the whether or not capitalistic democracy is a good idea around the kitchen table just the other day. We were eating breakfast and my eight year old son was asking about it. Who talks about that? These people are, and they're actually in charge. And here's the thing. The real prime minister is worse. I'll be right back. So uh, I've never seen Shoei Otani play a game of baseball. And this is a strange thing for me. Well, not strange anymore, but it's very much different from the way I used to be. 20 years ago or 25 years ago or even longer than that, I, I, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball announcer. Baseball is my favorite sport, and uh, Major League Baseball has been dead to me for at least 20 years because of no salary cap and what it did to the Pirates. Well, Shoei Otani might be the best baseball player who ever lived. He was leading the league in home runs at one point and also leading all pitchers in strikeouts. He pitches and he hits home runs, but he doesn't just, you know, hit a few home runs. He leads the league in home runs or comes close to it and leads the league in strikeouts. That's, that's who he is. Well, in case you missed it over the weekend, he signed for $700 million with the LA Dodgers. This is why Major League Baseball is dead to me. It is such a joke. So this guy, John Heyman, who writes for the New York Post, he says that Shoei Otani is where he belongs with Dodgers, and baseball is better for it. This is what's wrong with Major League Baseball. These people, and this guy works in New York, so this is the big city perspective. They don't think there's anything wrong with the Dodgers and the Yankees scooping up all these guys who make all the big money. And he says that he thought about uh, signing with Toronto, but he changed his mind and took the money from the Dodgers, which he probably was going to take anyway. The guy's from Japan. He's not going to be in Toronto. He's going to be in L.A. where he's, you know, closer to Japan. But um, he said, he he says, uh, if the Otani camp was going to use a team to aid negotiation, I do wonder why they'd pick the Toronto Blue Jays, who never seemed to like uh, like the logical fit until rumors started rolling late, and we began to wonder whether an anonymity was even more important than address. I suppose we will never know that, but at this point, all that matters is that Ohani made the right call, not only for him, but for us, too. Us. I guess that means me. And um, I hope that the Los Angeles Dodgers, now that they have Ohtani, and they're not done, by the way. They're going to sign at least one more gigantic free agent. I hope the Los Angeles Dodgers go 162 you know, and then sweep the playoffs. That's what I'm hoping for. You think that's unrealistic? Well, what'd you think about $700 million for a ball player about 20 minutes ago? I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.